because we're preaching on greater. And the key to all the greaters is that God is greater. And uh, today I'm preaching a sermon entitled, Greater Glory. And I get that title from Haggai 2.9. I wonder how many could turn to Haggai if I said, turn your Bible to Haggai 2.9. Fortunately, we put it on the screen for you. Haggai 2.9 says, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, says the Lord Almighty. A lot of people can quote that verse, but many of them have no clue what it is actually saying. And to understand it, we've got to understand the context of when it was said and what was being said, what was happening when it was written. In fact, do you even know the former house that it's talking about? There's a specific house that it's talking about. Well, I'm going to take you on a quick journey through time. And we're going to look at some of the houses God dwelt in. And... Don't get caught up in all the physical buildings here. There's, there's a, you've got to have eyes to see and ears to hear. There's something greater, and I'm going to try to apply it to the best of my ability. And I'm praying God gives us open eyes and open hear, ears to, to see and hear um, because, um, you know, I, I want to say this, as Paul said in the King James Version, the way it was originally written, right? <laughs> what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you know? Keep that in mind. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, when God led the children of Israel out of the promised land, out of bondage, out, out, of, out of slavery, into the promised land, and on the way, took a long time because of their own stubbornness and rebellion, uh, on their way, he gave Moses directions and instructions to build a, a, a sanctuary, a temple, a tabernacle. We call it the Tabernacle of Moses. And Exodus 25, 8 and 9 give us God's commands about building this tabernacle. It says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. What? Know you not? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I show you. And, and he goes on for chapters, 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 chapters on the specifics of building this tabernacle, which was a temporary tent-like structure that the, the Levites put up, took down, carried to the next place, put up, took down. And there's so many symbolic truths in the Tabernacle of Moses. Whole books have been written, written on it. We preached sermon series on it. And everything in, in this tabernacle pointed to Christ. But the main thing about the Tabernacle of Moses was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. In, in, the, in this tabernacle, there was a holy place, and, and then there was a holy of holies, and it was separated by a, a, a veil. And there was only one thing in the Holy of Holies, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box of acacia wood that was covered in gold. And, and inside it was the, the, the law that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. And on the top of it was a lid called the mercy seat. 
And a part of that lid was overshadowed by, by two cherubim or two angels. Cherubim are always associated with the presence of God in the Bible. And they're overshadowing, looking down on this mercy seat. And on that mercy seat was where on the Day of Atonement, the blood of the spotless lamb was, was sprinkled for the atonement of the people's sins. That was what came between them and the, the law. You always want that blood. You always want the blood. And the Bible says, don't have time to get into it today, but when Jesus went, after he died and resurrected, he went into the holy place in heaven and sprinkled his actual blood on the mercy seat there. You ought to study that out sometime. But this place, I want you to understand, where this ark, where the ark of the covenant was, was where God manifested his presence. The ark did not just represent God's presence. It, it, it literally was the place where God revealed himself on earth, where God spoke to them on earth. Number 789 says, when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak to the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim among the atonement cover on the Ark of the Testament. The Ark was where Moses met with, with, the, with the Lord and where, where God met with the, the high priest. And when the Israelites came into the promised land, they put up the tabernacle of Moses in a place called Shiloh, which was the, the uh, religious capital of Israel during the time of the judges. J Joshua 18.1 says, The entire congregation of the children of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. And it was there for 370 years. Until the Philistines came in and defeated Israel, and they believed that this Ark of the Covenant had some kind of supernatural power that they wanted, so they took that, that, that Ark back with them to their, their part of the country. It's over there where Gaza, that's, that's the land of the Philistines over there now. In those towns, Ashdod, Ashkelon, everywhere the ark went, I don't have time to get into it today. You ought to look it up and read it. It's very fascinating. Everywhere that ark went among them, plagues from God broke out. And eventually, they just kept sending it. And we're good with it here at this town. You know, we've had enough plagues. We'll send it to the next town and the next town. And finally, they said, we need to get this thing back to Israel. <laughs> and the ark... Don't have time to go through all the story, but it got back to Israel. It got to a, to a place called Kiriath-Jerim and for about, stayed there about 60 years. All during the reign of, of Saul, which was about 40 years, he never went and, and sought God at the ark. But as soon as David became king, the first thing David said was, we've got to get the ark of God back uh, into uh, Jerusalem. We've got to have the presence of God. Saul was fine without it, but David went and pursued it and, and, and got it, and he set it up in Jerusalem, and it was called in a place called the, the Tabernacle of David, which is just a tent with the ark on Mount Zion where people came and worshiped God and spent time in his presence. And that stayed there until Solomon built his glorious temple, which was called the Temple of Solomon on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And that temple was a very glorious temple. And that is the former temple mentioned in Haggai 2.9. Okay, when it says the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former, the former is talking about is, the, is Solomon's temple. 
And it's called the former temple because it stood there until the third century when a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, destroyed the city, including the temple of Solomon. And it all happened because the disobedience and the rebellion of God's people. Jeremiah had prophesied that. He told them, God has sent you prophet year after year after year to warn you to turn from sin. He said, if you don't, you're going to go into captivity. God sends us warnings, and God sends us messages. He did that in this service today, a call to repentance. Because God wants to save us from ourselves, save us from addictions, save us from the, the, the bad effects of, of sin. And the people of Israel refused to repent, and, 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 and they went into captivity for 70 years. And, and when they came out, God, God promised them, if you repent, I'll restore you. They repented, and God brought them back to the land, brought them back to, from captivity, brought them back to their promised land. And they started rebuilding that city that had been torn down. But they first started by rebuilding the temple. The first thing you've got to build in your life before you rebuild anything else, is the temple, is, is your, your, your relationship with God, it's your, your spirit. We spend our time trying to deal with the outer effects out here and trying to build things, but, but it's an inner thing. It's a, it's a heart issue. So they started by rebuilding the temple, and the book of Ezra is all about that, if you want to read about it. Nehemiah is about building the walls. Ezra is about building the temple. And after the Jews started rebuilding the temple, they got discouraged and quit. They were discouraged because their enemies mocked them constantly. They were discouraged because it was taking so long. They were discouraged because this new temple was not going to look as good as the old one. And they had built the, the foundation and the altar of the temple, but they quit before the job was finished. So God raised up Haggai and, and Zechariah to call these people to complete what they started. And they, these people were so discouraged and so dissatisfied because the temple they were building was not as good, not as beautiful as the one that had been torn down. So God told Haggai to ask them in Haggai 2, 3 through 4, who of you is left who saw the, this house in its, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like to you like nothing? But now be strong. All you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And God wants to say the same thing to us today. Uh, I, you're looking at something that doesn't look so great to you. You look, you got your focus on something that is not what you thought it was going to be. Things haven't turned out like you thought they would turn out. It's not as good. It's not as big. It's not as glorious. It, 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 and you're looking back at former days and all these things, and, and you're discouraged, and, and, and you're, you're disappointed. But God says, look, be strong. Don't stop. Keep working. Stay the course, and I will be with you. Now, let me help you for a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the major, cause, major causes of dissatisfaction and discouragement is comparison. Which the Bible says is not wise. These people in Haggai's time were comparing the, this new temple with the old, and it caused dissatisfaction. For us, it could be 
comparing our job with somebody else's job or our dream job, comparing our pay with other people or comparing our accomplishment with what others have accomplished can cause dissatisfaction. It can come when we compare our incomes or our spouses or our family or our looks or any other number of things. Just comparing ourselves among ourselves, the Bible says, is not wise. And like the people rebuilding this temple, we can even compare former moves of God with the current and present move of God. I say, well, I was there. I, hey, I was there in the 70s in the charismatic movement. Man, that was something. That was something, man. Ain't been nothing like that since. Well, okay, that was awesome. It was wonderful. It was exciting. But God is doing something now. Ecclesiastes 7.10 7, says, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Some of us even, I know as I get older, I tend to look back on the, the older days and the way things were and the leave it to beaver days, you know, and, all. and now it's, it's kind of like it's a lot crazier out here. And I, I can look back at that, but God says, hey, you, you got to get your eyes off that. And do you know what the cure for dissatisfaction is? It's getting your eyes on the right thing. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. That's why God said in Haggai 2.9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former, says the Lord. And in this place, in this place, in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God says, what you're looking at might not look like much right now. But I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Keep working. I'm going to put my glory on it. I'm going to put my glory on it. It's going to be greater than it was before. And what you're looking at right now in your life, my, my, uh, in your life or your finances or, or your marriage, it might not look like much. And, and you might be discouraged. You might be disappointed in life right now. But God is not finished with you. Are you breathing? How many of y'all are breathing? Some of y'all need to check for a pulse. If you're breathing, God's not done with you. God's not finished with you. We used to have this saying, please be finished with, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Sometimes we've got to be patient with ourselves and harden ourselves and let ourselves get under condemnation. But listen, God's not done. Stop looking backward at the good old days. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Get your eyes on God and on his vision for your future. And I really felt, I really felt led as I was going over this sermon this morning as I do every Sunday morning and just praying over it that there's some people who are going to be listening either here or online who really experience some, some devastating, destructive effects of sin in their lives. Could be your sin, could be somebody else's sin that have caused, has caused destruction in your life or your marriage or your family or your finances. But, but I, I really felt the word of the Lord to you today is going to be trust God Stay the course. The glory of the, the this, of this uh, 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 what God is going to do is so much greater than what it what, what things have been in the past. You think it's over. You think it's done. The the whole point of this story is God goes into places that have been knocked down, tore down, tore up, messed up, been left undone for generations, and He comes back in and rebuilds it better than it was before. Listen, every time in the Bible when the enemy has, when some a thief has to give back what he stole, he's got to 
give back more than what he stole, up to seven times what he stole. God can bless you seven times greater than what you've lost, what you think you haven't experienced, what you wish it would have been. God can, it's so much greater than that. So I'm, I'm bringing in a word from centuries ago to encourage you. Keep building. God encouraged him and through Haggai. Look to the future rather than the past. And the facts were that this rebuilt temple would be less magnificent to the eye than the former one. But God said, the final glory of my house will eclipse the former glory. He didn't say the size of the building was going to be bigger. He didn't say there's going to be more gold in it or more silver in it or more nice stained windows in it or anything like that. He said the glory is going to be greater. And not only would it outstrip the former former temple, but the Lord himself promised to bring peace to the temple court and to the city of Jerusalem. And we are believing for that and praying for peace in Jerusalem even to this day. And and that's a good place to say, please understand that the full and final fulfillment of this magnificent prophecy is still in the future. There are levels of of, prophecy. understanding of prophetic words and and even though the glory of the Lord did did come into that temple it came even in a greater way when Jesus himself visited that temple on his time on earth and there's a day coming when Jesus Christ will come back and return in power and glory and lasting peace in Jerusalem, that holy city, will only happen when the prince of priests returns in the clouds of glory, sets his feet on the Mount of Olives to bring his millennial kingdom of peace and prosperity. I, I love the amplified version of Haggai 2.9. It says, the latter glory of this house with its successor, the house coming after it, to which Jesus came shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace and prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai 2, 6 through 7 says more about this greater glory. For thus says the Lord of of hosts, once more, it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations and shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. What is the desire of all nations? I, you know, I had never really studied that out before before this week. I don't even remember reading that. I read through the Bible a bunch of times. You know, there's something you just read it and don't think, but it kind of struck me this time. What is the desire of the nations? And some commentators say, well, it was the wealth of the nations that helped the Israelites build the temple. But I did a real extensive study on this this week, and I believe that the, the, that the desire of the nations is talking about Jesus. God's Word translation, there's a translation called God's Word, says, I will shake all the nations, and the one to whom all the nations desire will come. Then I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. All the nations do not yet know that Jesus is the one they desire. They do not yet know that Jesus is the one they need. People do not yet know that all their desires will be ultimately fulfilled in him. And the Bible says the whole creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for the deliverance from the effects of sin and the coming of the Lord and the rising up of the sons of God and the the children of God. All nations really want to know 
know who God is. All people really want to know what their future is after death. All people are looking for things that are found only in Christ. They want joy. They want peace. They want love. They want righteousness. But listen, righteousness, peace, and joy is in the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus. He is all those things. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is everything we need. It is all found in him. He is the one who fulfills all our desires. A lot of people don't know that yet, but they will. Listen what happens after the return of Christ. Zechariah 14, 16 says, Then the survivors of all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty. That's going to happen. Isaiah 66, 18, It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. After the second coming of Jesus Christ, he will indeed be the desire of all nations and there will be greater glory for everyone on the face of this planet to experience. But today, the members of the bodies of, Christ, of the body of Christ, we are all a spiritual temple. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God had this desire. We saw it all the way back at the beginning with the children of Israel. God said, I want a place where I can dwell among the people. And God is saying that with us. Listen, we individually, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But together, God is building us together. Uh, the Bible calls us living stones. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You are his holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is building us together, taking these living stones, stones that are alive, and he is building us together, fitting us together, joining us together. Why? To be a holy temple for him, a place where his glory can dwell, a place where he can manifest his presence. We are the spiritual temple that God is using then to forward his redemptive plan and purposes on the earth. Yes. You're the part of the biggest thing that's happening on the earth right now. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7 says, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Pastor Deb read it at the beginning of this service from Habakkuk that the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's a prophetic word. That's going to happen where the whole earth will be filled totally with the knowledge of the glory of God. And God is saying he is shining his light in our hearts to give us that knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay or in earthen vessels to show that the all-surpassing power is from God is not us. By the way, this thought just came to me. You, you, you're not going to experience God's glory if, if, if you're more concerned about your own glory. Yeah. 
What's this treasure in us? The light of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the glory of God in the face of Christ, the power of God that dwells in us. That is a treasure that's in us. I love Dan Berger's interpret, interpreted New Testament, and, and here's, here's the way he translates this verse. The same God who at creation said, let light shine in the darkness, has in effect said to all of us, let revelatory light shine in their minds, and this has enabled us to comprehend this truth. So now we understand that when we look at the Messiah and his character, we see the glory of God himself. The glory of God was seen in temples, in buildings, in past times, but the ultimate expression of the glory of God uh, is found in Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds who being, listen, this is Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory. One of the words for glory in Hebrew is Shekinah. It's an outshining of, of its glory. It's an outshining. It's a showing forth of, of the character of God. Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the exact representation of his person. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But listen, the book of Hebrews, the key to it is it shows us how everything in the new covenant is better or greater than the old. The old covenant was based on the law of Moses. The new covenant is based on the death, burial, resurrection, grace, and truth of Jesus Christ. It's all because of Jesus that is better. John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus made his tabernacle among us, and he revealed his glory in us, and now Christ in us is the hope of glory. The New Testament word for glory is doxa, which we get like from the doxology, if you ever remember singing the doxology. It means splendor, brightness, magnificence, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, the kingly majesty that belongs to the supreme ruler, the absolute perfection of God, the character, nature, and acts of God which he reveals to us. When God reveals his glory, he usually reveals an aspect of his character to you. Think when Moses said in Exodus, Lord, show me your glory, and God had to hide him in a rock and put his hand on him and said, well, you can't look at me full on, but once I pass by, you can get a glimpse of me. And God showed him what? All of his goodness. And so God gives us, when he shows us his glory, it, it's, we get an aspect of his character. Today it was his fire. See, it's an aspect of, of the, the character of God. That's the glory of God that he is shining forth at that moment. And God wants us to know that the Bible says that the glory of God was seen in Jesus when he turned water into wine. It says he was, his glory was seen when he raised Lazarus from dead, the dead, when he raised himself from the dead, when he ascended up to heaven. Jesus is the greatest glory. He, there is none greater. God's not looking for a building that would get any glory. 
God wants people with a passion for his presence, no matter what their church looked like. Man, I've gone to churches all over the world. I've gone to some famous churches where famous preachers went, some back to Spurgeon, back to Calvin, been in his church. We've been in Spurgeon's church, Wesley's church, all those churches. But I'm telling you, some of the greatest worship I ever had was in Kenya under a, a, what they call a thorny tree. It's an acacia tree out in the middle of nowhere and with a bunch of people just worshiping God. It's not about the building. It's about the people in the building. And God manifests his presence, not because of the way the building looks, but because the people uh, in the building are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And, and, and our church at Grace Fellowship, experiencing God's manifest presence is so important to us. That's why we leave time in our services today where we wait on God, where we want him to speak, where we want him to act. And we believe that people need to experience God in church. If you're not experiencing God in church, we kind of miss the point of it. The point of church gatherings is not just to sing songs. It's not just to hear a sermon, no matter how great it might be. I'm playing with you. The main point is to experience the manifest presence of God. That's what changes us. That's what causes us to go out from here differently from the way we came in. So how do we enter God's presence? Listen, thanksgiving and praise precede entering the presence of God. Psalm 104 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Thanksgiving is the entryway. It gets you into the door. If you Listen, you'll never experience God's glory if you're not thankful. You can be right up in here in the middle of this church and all these people are worshiping God and saying the glory of God was here and you're like, I didn't, I didn't feel nothing. If you're not thankful, thanksgiving is the entryway. You don't get into the door until you're thankful. And then you give praise to his name. Praise gets into the, into the courts. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We get closer. Praise, thank, thanking, thanksgiving is giving God thanks for what he's done. Praise is giving God glory for who he is. And when we get into his presence and he manifests his presence, that's when worship is really happening, when we're in the presence of God. And we're not singing songs about God. We're singing songs to God. It's unlike anything else on earth. That's why Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, nothing else can satisfy your soul like Jesus and like being in the glory of God. Not your spouse, not your job, not your children, not your money, not the best vacation in the world, not having all your dreams come true. Nothing, nothing, nothing can compare to the manifest presence of God and the joy that's in his presence. May God increase our hunger for him and spending time with him. So as I told you, that former house in Haggai 2 was Solomon's temple. And the temple that was being built, called the Temple of Zerubbabel, was inferior to the Temple of Solomon in architectural beauty. It had no greater glory to look at. But Herod Herod built his temple on the Temple Mount on the ruins of the Temple of Zerubbabel. So it was no bigger or more glorious than that former temple. It was built on that foundation. 
And that promise of greater glory seemed to have no fulfillment for years until four years after Herod's temple was built. And then one day, an infant was brought into that temple from a stable and a manger. And there in that temple, God himself was manifest in the flesh. This was a fulfillment of Haggai's prophecy about the greater glory of the latter temple. That glory was not the building itself. It was the manifest presence of Jesus Christ in the building. Listen, the Jewish rabbis say the second temple was inferior to the first. They say that for five reasons. The ark was gone. The Shekinah presence of God was not there anymore. The Urim and the Thummim, which they used to seek God's will, part of the breastplate of Aaron, the divine guidance was gone. The holy fire was gone. The Holy Spirit of prophecy was gone and heard from God in hundreds of years. That caused discouragement in the work of the people. But we should be encouraged, listen, because in Christ, all those missing elements of the divine glory are manifested and fulfilled. He shed his blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven to atone for our sins. People looking for the Ark of the Covenant, they can look all they want to. There is an Ark of the, in heaven, and that's where the mercy seat is, where the blood of Jesus has, has, been, has been poured out. He is the manifestation of the glory of God. He is our wisdom. We don't need something else to help us have wisdom. He spoke words of prophecy, and now the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is speaking words of prophecy today. This is greater glory. The greater glory glory is found in the new covenant ratified by the blood of Jesus. I love 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11 that shares the old covenant, which is the covenant of Moses, salvation by works, by law, with the new covenant, salvation by grace, but based on faith in Jesus Christ. If that ministry that brought death, that's the old covenant, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Some people sitting around waiting for somebody's face to shine and then thinking the glory of God got here. And the Bible saying, wait a minute, there's something much greater than that. It's the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit that happens in our worship, in, our, in the words that come forth, in, in the preaching, in, in the fellowship. The ministry of the Spirit is greater than that of the old covenant. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious, listen, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? The new covenant is a greater glory, has a greater glory than the old because the old covenant only impacted Israel. But this new impacts the whole world. The new covenant is greater than the glory of the old because the temples of the, of the old were all torn down. But Jesus said that 
gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. The new covenant offers greater glory than the old because in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit came and went. But in the new covenant, now he fills and lives within every believer. The new covenant offers greater glory than the old because the old brought condemnation, but the new brings righteousness. The old brought death, but the new brings life. The old glory faded, but the new glory lasts forever. That The new covenant has greater glory because it has the power to change us from glory to glory as we spend time in the presence of God. And now, instead of animal sacrifices, we have a sacrifice of praise. Instead of law and works, we have grace and truth. Instead of limited ritualistic worship, we have continual, spontaneous worship in spirit and truth. And now all of us, not just a high priest, every single one of us can come in to the holy place, into the presence of God by the new and living way, by the blood of Jesus. Can you thank God for greater glory? Can you thank God for greater glory? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your spirit. God, open our eyes to see the glory of the Lord in our midst these days. God, forgive us for looking at the past. And and God, forgive us for trying to limit you to what you did back then. God, let us have expectation for what you want to do now and in the future in our lives and in our church, I pray. God, I pray you would restore uh, 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 and encourage people who have experienced destruction in their lives. People who are discouraged. God, would you encourage them? God, by your spirit, encourage them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down front. Listen, if you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, you'll never experience the glory of God. But the glory of God is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. You've got to open the door and let him in. He doesn't knock it down. To many as received him, he gave the power to become sons of God. If you need prayer for being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you need prayer for healing, if you need a miracle, if you need to pray for somebody else, come on down, come on down. There is power in prayer. And we want to see the hand of God move in your life. Love you so much. We'll see you Wednesday night if you can be here. We're going to sing one more song and we'll be dismissed.